Hello, welcome to Heritage Church. We are so glad that you are joining us for worship today. As a church, we exist to connect people to God, to each other, and to their purpose. So if this is your first time joining us for service, or if you have any questions, prayer requests, or want to talk to one of our pastors, please go to heritageqc.com connect, and one of us on the pastoral team will contact you this week. For now, I'd like to invite you to raise your voice to make a joyful noise as we begin to worship God together. Would you sing with me? And we know that there's all sorts of crazy things happening in this world, uh, both here, over across the world in Ukraine, and we just continue to say, God, you are the one who has to continue to do what only you can do. And so we're going to rely on his promises, his faithfulness. And so let's sing about that here together. Promise maker, promise keeper, you finish what you begin. Our provision through the desert. You're the 
Hey, friends. Wow, so much energy in the room today. It's going to be... It's going to be fun. All right. Well, have you ever had just a morning? And I don't mean like a great morning. I just mean a morning. Like, wow, we've made it so far this, you know, we've made it this far today. That's been kind of the morning at the Gomez family uh, today. And I will, I will spare you the specifics for now because it's going to make a great sermon story someday. And uh, I want to reserve that for later. But let's just suffice it to say it's been a morning. And, uh, and then I was at Bentendorf campus and the preacher there was long-winded and uh, that's me. And, uh, and so, you know, here's what I would like. Here's what, here's what that highlights for me is that when we connect in gathered moments like this, when we spend time declaring God's goodness in worship, when we hear from the word, when we interact around his desire for connecting with him and each other, our relationships and our purpose, there's a lot of battle around all of those things. And so before we go any further, I'm going to ask that Jesus would do what only he can do today, that he would speak to us in a way where only he gets credit, and that we would be different on the other side of it because we'll have met with him. So let's do that together. Father, Son, and Spirit, we are here today because you love us, because we need you. And so I pray For my friends right here, right now, those gathering at home and and connecting in that way, that we would be aware of your presence, that we would be open and receptive to what you would say to us, and more than anything, that we would be transformed by you and your good work in and through us. Oh Lord, we can't do any of that on our own. So do it in your name for the sake of your glory. Hide me behind your cross and your word and give each of us uh, the words that you have for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are just a few of those days uh, in your life that they stand out to you because they're so awesome or memorable for whatever reason. Uh, One of those days for me was my wedding day. And hopefully that will always be the case, right? That man, just the day where I remember what it was like to, to wed my bride, Sarah. Uh, we got married at her dad's church. Her dad was a pastor of this little church in Canada. And, uh, and he, at least at the time, liked me and, uh, and was really great with us getting married. And, and I remember this just sweet, small ceremony that we had at this church, and, uh, and there was this moment where he's kind of getting us ready to, to share our vows together, and he messes up our names. I mean, it's his daughter and future son-in-law, right? Like, this is, it's not just some guy who didn't know us. He messes up our names, but he did it in a cute and kind of funny way. He referred to us as Jarrah and Saramiah, because it's Sarah and Jeremiah. So, so now, whenever we get together with family, that's how they refer to us, is just Saramiah, right? So, like, what's Saramiah doing today? You know, we're going to go see Saramiah. We became this, this, like, all of a sudden we were just this unit sharing one name right there. And it's been kind of awesome that that's how we're seen and known. And I felt like in that moment, man, we're getting married and already, I mean, already, we're so united that, like, we're Saramiah. We're awesome. It's awesome. It's going to be great. It didn't prepare me for three weeks later, when my wife and I were sitting across from each other at the table in our kitchen, and she set down her fork, and she looked me right in the eye, and she said, 
I don't like you very much right now. And I looked back at her in the face and I said, same deal. I would like to say, man, I was like, I, oh, that's okay, honey, I love you. We're great. No, it was like, I don't know if I can be around you right now. You see, we had, we had uh, kept all of the boundaries that we knew to kept, keep. We had, we had walked intentionally toward marriage. We had kept ourselves pure. We had, we had done uh, all that we knew to do that we were supposed to do in preparing for married life together. But what, hadn't, what we didn't know is just how tough it could be living with someone. Because let me tell you, Sarah is amazing. She has some really weird habits. I mean, I'm, I'm easy to live with. I'm, I have no problems. If she were here, she would not tell you that right now. No, it's just one of those things where we discovered as we, as we were in close proximity all the time that there were things about each other that we could not stand, that we hadn't really been exposed to yet. And if we were going to actually be this, this one unit on purpose for a purpose, it was going to take some work. It was going to take more than just a name. It was going to take real effort on our part. I was so grateful that Sarah went first in that moment, actually, because she not only was like, hey, I don't like you, but I want to. <laughs> so, so what do we need to do in order to help things get better? She went first. Man, that took courage. I'm so grateful for somebody in my world who's willing to go first in those moments. There was another go first moment that I, I can't forget. It's another super memorable moment, not as sacred as a wedding ceremony, but it was one of the few times that I ever got to hang out with my dad while we were outdoors. And uh, I was a, a preteen or young teenage boy and my siblings were with me, his fiance, and he had decided that we would all go for a hike and a picnic out in the mountains outside of Tucson, Arizona, in this place called Mount Lemon that during the winter has some snow, uh, has some ski slopes and stuff. And, and and during the summertime, it's just a great place to go hiking. It's a little cooler than the desert around it. And so because of that, there's a lot of wildlife that's there. It's known for its black bears. So we were there at this picnic area on the side of the mountain. And I remember my dad opening up the big bag full of ham for our ham sandwiches. And over here to the right, you hear a rustle and a grunt. And it wasn't me or my brother, right? There was some creature over here that wanted either a ham sandwich or a person to eat. And so as we look, we can kind of see it moving, and there out of the brush comes this black bear. In my memory, it's a ginormous thing. I have no idea what size it actually was, but this black bear came forward and started to approach us. And I remember, I would love to tell you guys that, man, I was there, and I immediately stepped in front of my brother and sister and said, you know, like, you can't have them, black bear. But no, what happened in my mind was I was thinking, I only have to outrun one of them, <laughs> right? Like, I just have to be faster than one and I'll be fine. It's a little too honest for you? I don't know. So, so here we are, and I will not forget the, what my dad did in that moment. You see, he saw what was happening, and he told us, you know, like, gather the food, put it away, and then he said, I want you, when I tell you it's time, I want you to back away slowly and get in the car. And what he did is then he went toward the bear. He picked up some, some branches and he went toward the bear and he started making as much noise as he could. And that was one of those moments for me that was a go first moment where my dad went first into danger so that we could go first 
into safety. It was an incredible moment. I was so proud of my dad in that moment. It was a, it's just a cool thing. And I know it may not sound like a big deal, but to, but to young me, it was this huge moment where I realized, because my dad isn't the most warm and fuzzy guy, right? His, his favorite words to tell us when we would fall down and be like bleeding all over was, it'll feel better when it stops hurting, right? which, which is a true statement. That's true. Some of you dads are like, yes, I'm going to have to file that away and use that. But this is, this is what it was. It'll feel better when it stops hurting. So he wasn't like this warm and fuzzy guy. But in this moment, I saw a guy who was going first into danger. He was fighting for us and he was going to keep us safe. It was awesome. It was incredible. As we've been walking through these conversations through the book of Ephesians, we've been talking about relationships and connecting with God and others and our purpose. So he talked about how we were made for more and we shouldn't settle for less. And last week, Pastor Josh and Michaela did an incredible job of unpacking for us some of what it looks like to live a life filled by Holy Spirit, all from this book of Ephesians. And last week they talked about how as we live into the more that God has for us with Holy Spirit, that we will evidence that in how we talk with and about each other, that, that we'll evidence that in how we worship together, that we'll evidence that in living lives of gratitude. And the list has one final element that says, hey, if you're living a life marked by God's Spirit, you'll speak well, you'll worship well, you'll gratitude well. And then the writer continues. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, this is the next thing in the list. He says, follow God's example, therefore. Oh, sorry, no, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, can, let's just be honest. Somebody tells me, hey, God wants you to be a person who speaks truth to each other. I can get behind that. That's easy. Yeah, got it. God wants you to be a person who worships well. Tracking. God wants you to be a person who is full of gratitude because of what he's done and you are aware of the blessing you have. Yes, that is awesome. God wants you to be a person who lives submitted to other people. No, thank you. I don't know what to do with that especially in the culture and context that we live in today, where we're taught that in order to, to be somebody of leadership and power, you have to hold on to your authority and get more power as, as quickly as you can, that you need to hold on to your voice and declare it as well as you can, that you need to be the person who is undeniably in charge, and you don't do that by choosing to submit to one another. But here, the writer says, in Jesus, out of declaration and understanding that Jesus is king, and he's king in our relationships, we will choose to submit one to the other, that Jesus will be king in our world, king in our lives, king in our relationships, and when he does that, we live submitted one to the other. Now, I also know this, that as soon as I read that word submit, it came with a whole bunch of baggage for a lot of us. We have our own definitions of what that might look like or mean, and we started to wonder, what does that look like when it comes to our relationships? What does that have to do with the more that God has for us? I think it's helpful if we kind of look at how that term would have been heard and understood to the very first people who heard these words. 
Because you see, that word that we read is submit in English. It's loaded with meaning from, from the, the Greek that it's written in. It could be heard and understand all at once in a bunch of different ways. So I'm just going to unpack how you, if you were hearing this for the first time in the original language, how you might have understood this invitation to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You would have heard it as serve one another out of reverence for Christ. You would have heard it also as be devoted to one another out of reverence for Christ. You would have heard it as be subject to one another because Jesus is king. Walk in step with each other because Jesus is in charge. That walk in step, it's, the term is actually one that was used in military circles to mean walk in formation with one another. Walk in step with each other. Yield to one another. It's this it means all of this all at once. And depending on the translation of the scriptures you're reading, it might be that term that kind of bubbles to the top as you, as you look at it. I, if we were to put it in language that I, I would want to use today, and since I'm the preacher, that's what I'm going to do, I would say it this way. Go first in letting others go first. That that's the idea of submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because Jesus is king, go first in letting others go first. It's that moment where Sarah had courage to go first and say, man, I think we should be having a stronger marriage than we are. It's that moment of my dad going first into danger so we could go first into safety. It's going first so others can go first. I think it's a great picture of what it means to submit to one another, to, to be willing for somebody else to be elevated and saying just because somebody else has attention or voice or opportunity doesn't mean that I don't, but I'm going to go first in allowing them to be seen and known. I'm going to go first in letting others go first. I, I know it's kind of a, a cyclical phrase, but it, it indicates to me a little bit of what the writer is inviting us into even in this moment. So we go first in inviting others to go first. I just want you to imagine what that would mean in your closest relationships if you chose to let the other person go first into all the best. If you chose to let the other person in your closest relationship go first in terms of what is good and right and elevates them. What would that look like? It's scandalous then and now. And then the writer continues out of this idea of like, hey, go first and letting each other go first. And we bump into a series of verses that as soon as I read them, it's going to cause some of us to kind of like bristle. It's going to cause some of us to, to remember some things that we've been taught or been modeled that, that didn't quite set right with us. It's going to cause some of us to be aware of spaces where we've been taught that we're supposed to have no voice and somebody else is supposed to get the say in everything and we're just supposed to be okay with it. That's not what is happening here. And so I know I'm piquing your interest and we're going to read this passage together but it comes on the heels of this idea that you and I were to submit to one another because Jesus is king. 
We're to go first and letting other people go first. And then the writer continues in verse 22. He says, in some specific relationships, let's look at what that means. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so all wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So, the first time that this passage would have been heard, let me tell you how it would have been received. People would have been astounded that the writer, this leader in the church, was telling the church, first submit to one another, that there's equal footing before the cross, and that wives were to play a significant role in the health and well-being of their families. Because you see, up until these words and up until the church really started living for Jesus and seeing how our family dynamics could live and be, there were kind of two different dynamics at play. And most generally in the world at the time, there was a, a leader of the household called a, a pater familias, which meant, you know, just the dad of the house, the head of the household. And he had full legal authority to do whatever he wanted. There was no legal term for domestic abuse when this was written. Because if the pater familias wanted to do whatever, that was okay because that's what he wanted. If he wanted to sell off some of the kids in order to make ends meet, that was fine. That was his call. Nobody else got a say in how it worked. And so here we bump into this passage of Scripture where it's astounding because there's an invitation for husbands and wives to live in submission to one another with wives letting their husbands go first in letting others go first. How does that, how does that work? You see, Paul, the, the writer who, who is interacting with these things, he was really familiar with the teachings of Jesus. He saw that as Jesus interacted with the world around him, he empowered women and he elevated women and he taught women, which is really significant. Because in that day and age, for a rabbi like Jesus to teach anybody meant that he was anticipating that they would go and teach on his behalf. So that it includes in the scriptures that women were gathered with the disciples, were sitting at Jesus' feet in a learning posture that he was teaching them was incredible in that day and age. And so that's the context that we're understanding this in. So it might seem a little strange to hear that the writer is saying, hey, wives submit to your husbands as the church submits to Jesus, when in that context, women had been released and empowered for incredible and wonderful things. But it's in the context that we start to understand a little more of what we're being invited into here. You see, I'm, I'm a little f concerned because in this passage that in its context was incredibly freeing and empowering and elevating of women has often been used by the church to perpetuate abuse and to diminish women, which was never the intent. It was never the intent. I think the church has some repenting to do in that space. If we look at that broader context of who Jesus invited us to be and how we were to work, then Paul, the writer, knew this. 
He also knew that there were a lot of different dynamics at play in the world then just as there are here today. And so he's confronting the worldly notion that there is anyone who has more voice than another simply because of where they're from or what they look like or what they sound like. That when Jesus is king, we all stand on equal footing before him. That when Jesus is king, we are all invited to contribute in our families and in our church with all of who we are. That all of us are invited to play a significant and substantial role. The irony is that the church has shifted and often used passages like this one to diminish rather than amplify the voices that the writer here is trying to amplify. It's a reminder for me throughout the scriptures, that in Jesus' name, you and I as the church together, out of our love and reverence for him, out of the transformation that he's working in our lives, that we are meant to elevate the voices of those who are otherwise forgotten, ignored, or too quickly diminished. To elevate the voices of those who are told to sit down and be quiet. Because you see, it's often those who are afraid of losing power that insist on others sitting down and being quiet. And so when those voices begin to be amplified and have opportunity, it feels uncomfortable and we don't know what to do with it. But the writer here, Paul, he's inviting in households, husbands and wives, believe it or not, even in this passage, to share in a kind of footing together that says we are going to go first together in the way of Jesus. And together we are going to see what God can do as he does impossible things. It's an uncomfortable space for us to sit and and interact. But it makes me wonder, if this is part of what's happening here, and I really believe that it is, if this is part of what's happening here, then what are the voices today where we would see that people are readily ignored and diminished? Where they are told, be quiet, sit down. Your opinion doesn't matter, or it sure seems that way. I think if we were to start to, to make a list, we'd be surprised at what we discover. We would see that it includes the elderly and the infirm and the unborn, the destitute, the mentally ill, the prisoner, the orphan, the widow, and a whole host of others in a list that looks an awful lot like the very people Jesus told us we were to be advocates for. To raise up, to amplify, to bring hope and light and life. So it makes me again ask, who are the people who, who are automatically presumed to have leadership ability and teaching authority because of what they bring to the table on their own? That's part of the story of what was going on in Ephesus. There were, there were these pockets of, of women leadership in the community, which happened very rarely in that ancient time, but they were seen as civic leaders because they were leaders in this thing called the Diana Temple. And these women who were leading in the temple were sometimes, scholars think, invited to lead in the church because they led in the temple so well. And Paul will, in other spaces, say, no, actually, these women need to submit and learn the teachings of Jesus before they have any teaching authority at all. You can unpack some of that in the, in the book of 1 Timothy. Some of us, again, have taken that passage to mean so, so women should never teach, which is not the intent of that passage of Scripture at all. 
And so here's the invitation for us. It's to live in this space where we go first, allowing others to go first, where we elevate the voices and perspectives of others so that opportunity and light and life and kingdom work can happen together. So that being said, I want us to look at this passage just one more time with all of that context kind of in mind. But as we look at it one more time, I want us to to highlight or point out some of the words that are included in our translations just to help us understand and read it a little better. A lot of times, because we're reading Greek translated into English when we read the New Testament, the translators will will put some phrases in there to help us track what's happening because most of us don't speak Greek. And so it's just, it's a helpful way because it's a translation of another scripture to kind of track what's happening there. And so in our English Bible, sometimes there'll be a phrase or a word, and if some of the translations you're using, they'll italicize those words or phrases. They'll kind of slant the letters of that word to show you this isn't an original language word, but it's here for the sake of context and continuity and familiarity. So I just want us to see the, the words that would be kind of slanted in saying, hey, this is here for context, not in the original languages, if we read that passage again. So here's what it would say. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives to their husbands in everything. So there's still very clear invitation to live in pursuit of Jesus together in a well-ordered home. That's, that's a very clear invitation here. But we tend to major on the idea of submit, 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 when the writer is inviting us to submit one to the other, even as we submit to Jesus. Some of us don't know how to do that, because it's a whole lot easier to insist that I get the final say because you fill in the blank, and so you just have to deal with it. And on first glance, when some of us read that passage of Scripture, the first thing we think is, so what this says is that husbands get to decide and wives have to put up with it. Some of us have tried to live that out. Good luck. That's not what is happening here, though. The invitation is to live in submission to Jesus and to let the other person go first into the goodness of God, to go first by letting the other person go first. That's what submission means. So let's say we begin to see this is a little, maybe a little more invitational than some of us might have been led to believe. That when someone looks at a marriage founded in Jesus, the writer would say, we're supposed to live in such great submission to one another. We're supposed to live in such purpose and unity sharing with each other in our marriages that when people look at us, they go, oh my goodness, that looks like a little picture of what heaven should be, which is a huge point of conviction for most of us married people. In fact, the the writer would later on say in verse 31, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. You see, there's this invitation right here to live in our closest in relationships, particularly in marriage. But I want you to hear this. If you're here today and and you're here without your spouse or partner, and that's heartbreaking for you because you want them to be here to walk in unity with you, the invitation is still to go first in the way of love 
If you're here today and you feel like the church doesn't see you or thinks that because you are a single person, you don't count as much or you're not a whole person, I want you to hear that is not the case. That as you stand before God as somebody, a soul before him, he desires you to know the fullness of purpose and life in him. So even as we're discussing the reality of what this particular relationship between husband and wife can look like, there's invitation for each of us in each of our contexts to receive more that God has for us. So let's circle back. We go first in letting the other person go first. Wives, we could read this, go first in letting your husband go first. Does that make you want to know? Go first into what? Right, what? Go first into what? Because we just interrupted the thought in the passage here. So let's continue. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Wives, go first in letting your husband go first in the love, sacrifice, and purity. That's what the writer just said. Can you imagine if our marriages were marked more by the pursuit of love and sacrifice and purity? How that would change how we interact? If our closest relationships were marked first by saying, I am going to go first into the spaces of love and sacrifice and purity, what would that do? How would that transform the most challenging spaces of your life? I think we would discover that God has more life for us there than we ever imagined as we choose out of reverence to Christ to submit one to the other. Wives, let your husbands go first into love and sacrifice and purity. Husbands, you better be loving with love and sacrifice and purity. Neither of those invitations are spaces to hold on to power or to force the other person to do your will. We are equal before God. The writer here makes it very clear that, again, there are, there are roles and invitations for husbands and wives in the house, that, that we each bring the fullness of who we are in Jesus to make the marriage thing work, that we bring our perspectives and our voice into that space, that, that yes, there's a, there's a role for us in our house to lead our household into the way of Jesus, into the fullness that he has for us. Again, that was striking in its day and age. Now, I want to be, be fair, because I looked at that passage that says, wives submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ, and we said, hey, you know, let's look at how we filled in some words to, to maybe major on submission a little more than the, like, love and sacrifice thing. So we did that. So here's what I want you to do. I, I want to do the same thing with this passage that was written specifically to husbands, okay? So we're just going to look and see what are the filler words that are there for the sake of clarity. See what it, what it gets us off the hook of. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's what's there. That's what's there. This is the invitation for you and for me. 
wherever we find ourselves, however our relationship may look today, you and I, as we submit one to the other because Jesus is king in our lives and in our relationships, we choose love and sacrifice and purity for the sake of his great name. I have, yeah, as I've had this conversation with different couples and individuals about what it looks like to live submitted one to the other, standing equal before God, no one voice getting to bludgeon the other, there are two things that keep coming up that I just, out of love, between you and me, want to, want to just address for a moment. The first is that the question that often comes up is if we're equal in our marriage, if my voice counts as much as her voice and her voice counts as much as mine, then who gets to decide when we disagree? That question keeps coming up. And I'll just answer in this way. If the dynamics in your relationship are so fractured that you are so continually bumping up against these points of decision where you cannot find submitted agreement with one another, then there is actually a far deeper brokenness happening in that relationship that I believe Jesus needs to bring healing and his leadership into. If the first question that you have is, who gets to decide? Who gets to be in control? Who gets to have the power? That's an indication, I think, of a fractured soul and a broken perspective on what it looks like to thrive in the name of Jesus. Related to that are the conversations I've had with some of you husbands where We'll be in conversation around like, is this best for your family? Is this what you are, are going to lead your family well into? Is this what's going to be helping you to thrive? And the response that we sometimes get is, I told my family that's what we're doing, so they're fine with it. That reeks of power grabbing and authority wielding. It does not sound like Jesus. If that's where you're leading from, husbands, stop it. It's gross. Instead, ask what it looks like to lead in the way of love and sacrifice and purity. That's a really impossible invitation so impossible that we cannot do it on our own. When you came in, you received some elements for communion. If you're joining us at home, I invite you to go ahead and get those, the bread and the cup. Here in space, you got a, a swig of Dimatap and some styrofoam. And I'll invite you to go ahead and kind of open those up. You see, communion is actually an invitation. It's a space where you and I, we sit as the church with Jesus partaking together. You see, anybody can have bread and juice. It's only followers of Jesus who have communion together because it's Jesus who has bought us and gave himself for us. It's Jesus who has gone first, 
into love and sacrifice. And communion is the reminder that Jesus has gone first into love and sacrifice and purity. That he's gone ahead of us in that. And so as you're preparing to partake of that, I just want to read how this same writer invited us to prepare our hearts. He says, everyone who is going to partake of communion together, of the bread and the cup, they ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. And so the space here for us is first to say, if you are a follower of Jesus, this moment is for you to ask Holy Spirit to search and know you, to ask him how he is positioning you to go first in love and sacrifice. Whatever the circumstances that you find yourself in, how are you going first in love and sacrifice? If you're not a follower of Jesus, man, I can't think of a better moment than right now to ask him to be the one who forgives and leads you, who has gone ahead of you, not just into love and sacrifice, but into death so that we could live. So if you've never asked Jesus to be the one who forgives and leads you, I invite you in your own space and time right now, do that and then let us know so we can journey with you. And even as you hold these elements, or perhaps some of you have already partaken of them, ask, how is he inviting you to go first into love and sacrifice? And God, I pray that you would search us and know us. Answer this question for us. The Lord, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread And then when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so I invite you to partake of the bread by his wounds, receiving his healing, and asking where he is inviting you and me to be broken for the sake of others, even as we're healed. To be broken for the sake of others, in our closest relationships as he leads us into love and sacrifice and purity. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me because when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And so I invite you to partake of the cup if you've not already done so. Reflect on what it means that Jesus willfully poured out his life for you. Where do you need to be purified and receive the gift of soul healing? Where is he inviting you to lead first in that for the sake of others? Communion is this reminder Jesus went first into love and sacrifice. He shows us the way. Whatever is broken, you can find healing in him. But know that he will lead you next into your own spaces of love and sacrifice, going first for the sake of others. So let's pray together. Jesus, we're so grateful for the gift of your word. We're so grateful for the gift of your sacrifice. We're so grateful for the gift of your love. 
and we are so aware of our own shortcomings. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would show us what it looks like to receive the fullness of what you have for us and to go as those who lead first, who go first in love and sacrifice, not in our own strength, but simply following in the way that you lead. Help us to do that beyond this moment in the spaces that are most dear and near to us. As we declare your praise, your glory, and your goodness in these next moments, abide with us, we pray. Jesus and I am chosen not forsaken I am who you say I am you are for me not against me I am who you say I am
powerful reminder of who we are. And we're going to sing and worship through one more song here this morning. And as we do so, our usher is going to come receive our tithes and offerings, as well as those group connection cards. We'd love to just to have you toss those in there as well, so we can continue to build those, those groups and those teams together. And uh, But just also want to celebrate something that as through your continued faithful giving and investment here at Heritage Church, we're able to to give $3,000 through World Relief uh, to Ukraine. And so, so thankful for your investment that way. And uh, for many of you who, who give online uh, or even on the envelopes here, you see that there's a vision fund and a missions fund. Vision is kind of for all of kind of our main bucket of, of funds that we use. Um, and then missions is for all the kind of different things that we connect in outside of the church and, and things just like that where we can give to world relief and other places to continue to help support what's going on in uh, the world around us. So just for clarity for you, if you want to continue to invest in those kind of places, that's what that looks like. So again, thank you for your way, the way that you are partnering along with us so that we can continue to serve the world together. And so um, as we sing this last song, I think it's so fitting um, for what we've been talking about, but also for where we are at in the world. And so this, this little chorus that we've been learning together um, I think it's just really helpful for us to remember the power of God in the midst of sometimes the dark that is happening. In the darkest night, you can light it up. You can light it up. Oh, God of revival, let hope arise. Death is overcome Cause you've already won Oh God of revival We've seen
If something during the service struck a chord with you and you'd like to have someone pray with you, or if you have a follow-up question to something said during the sermon, I'd encourage you to go to heritageqc.com connect and one of us on the pastoral team will reach out to you this week. That's also a great way to find out which groups, classes, and events we are offering. Did you know that the only place in the Bible God says we can and should test Him is in our tithing? We'd encourage you to faithfully risk with us and give with radical generosity. It is your giving to the ministries of Heritage Church that makes programs like this possible. One of the easiest ways to do this is by going to heritageqc.com slash give. Thank you so much for joining us for worship today, and we will see you next week.